You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Carrie Miller is a lover of all good things, the gospel, the outdoors, and food. She is inspired by her three children every day. As a teenager, Sister Miller's brother passed away in a tragic fishing accident. A few years ago, her younger brother passed away from the flu. And in her early 20s, she was in a life-threatening car accident. Due to these experiences and other life lessons, Carrie was inspired to write a book on how to remain faithful despite life's obstacles. Her goal in life is to share her testimony of finding happiness no matter the circumstance. She has been a speaker at BYU-Idaho's Education Week and at Retreat for Girls. We're so happy to have her speaking to the young adults in the Treasure Valley and on our podcast, I Am In. Well, it's so good to be with you guys tonight. I'm super excited to share some of my thoughts, my experiences with you, and I hope that I am able to deliver what Brother Neil asked me to talk about. I pondered this for quite some time. I kept trying to figure out what angle, and that introduction kind of told you several angles I could have hit on. I am going to speak a little bit of my older brother's passing today, and I'm going to narrow in my zero in my thoughts on how we can be happy through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been thinking a lot about our journey lately and our journey of becoming and what that looks like. And in that process of thinking and pondering our journey and how we get there, get to our heavenly home that we all want to get to, I thought about that when I was dropping my two daughters off at college. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I hate goodbyes and I especially hate saying goodbye to my kids. I love them to be close to me and I dread every second when I know that that time of them leaving is going to be approaching. In fact, when my daughter was a sophomore in high school, she used to tease me and say, hey, two more years and I leave. I think she just wanted to see my reaction or something because she knew that I do not like goodbyes. So as I was saying goodbye to my two oldest daughters, dropping them off at BYU, I had this profound thought. I thought about the moment in which we say goodbye to our Heavenly Father, or in which we did say goodbye. I thought about how Heavenly Father must have felt, how He sent us here because He knew that it was the only way, that we had to come here in order to become. It was our opportunity at learning and growing and becoming, and it was the only way. I thought about that as I hugged my kids goodbye, and I thought about how, how much our Heavenly Father loves us. And because He loved us, He offered us a plan. A plan of happiness equipped with a map to help us make it back to His presence someday. If we simply followed His map, our ultimate goal of eternal life would be realized. Okay, so that's a message of hope. And it sounds pretty simple. It may sound simple, but the scriptures teach us that in everything there is opposition. We must experience the adversity in order for us to become. I was thinking about this journey of becoming and maps and all of those things of how we need to get back to our heavenly home. And I thought about an experience that I had a couple years ago. I don't know if any of you know about the Boise Trails Challenge, but two years ago I decided that I was going to participate in the Boise Trails Challenge. One of my friends actually passed away on a trail here in Boise, and that's what inspired the challenge to come about. A long time, people didn't do this challenge on foot. They used to only do it on bikes. And so when I first started the challenge, I thought, I'm only gonna do 50 miles. That's all, I'm only gonna do 50 miles. 50 miles will make me feel like I've accomplished something and I'll feel good about it. I had my map in hand, my app that told me what I needed to do and where to go, and I was set. Well, I started the challenge and I thought, you know what, I could do more than 50 miles. I can do more. So I changed my whole paradigm and thought, I'm gonna do the whole challenge. 
Well, the whole challenge ended up being 240 miles to accomplish it. And you needed to accomplish it in a month. You only had a month. So in order for me to accomplish this task, I was waking up at 4 a.m. and doing an early morning hike. I was, I was going at noon and then I was going late at night. I was trying to do the best times in which the sun wasn't pounding down on me. Now, I know noon was a bad time, but I had to break it up somehow. <laughs> so 30 miles, I was hiking a day. And what something was at one point was supposed to be fun, all of a sudden became a big challenge, an accomplishment I wanted to make. Well, that would have been good in and of itself. And I maybe shouldn't admit this, but I all of a sudden wanted to be in the top 20. So not only did I want this challenge, I had to complete it in a certain amount of time in order to be in the top 20. Because apparently you got a cool mug or something and I thought that would be cool. So let me kill myself as I get a cool mug. <laughs> it's essentially what I decided. So I'm working really hard for this challenge. I got to the point where I was at the almost the very end of this challenge. I had three hikes to go and I was gonna make it. I was at 12th place, I think, and I wanted to be in the top 20, so I was doing pretty good. 12th place, three hikes left. On my third to last hike, my knee started hurting and it was really hard for me to get off the trail. I was essentially limping to get to the end. And I went home that night and I was totally discouraged. I was right there. I, I, it was like I, I could see the goal. I could see it. But this big opposition was in my way. And I didn't know what to do. So I went home, I iced my leg, I, ta I taped my leg, I prayed. And I don't know if it was just the determination within my heart to want to complete it, but I decided whether that was smart or not that I was going to hike again the next day. I was going to go for it but I didn't leave without some help. I asked my daughter and my best friend if they'd come with me. Sorry. So they did. And at first I was totally fine. We went up mountains and went through all of these trails that I needed to accomplish. And pretty quick my knee started to hurt, but I found out if I turned around backwards and I hiked down the hill backwards, then my knee was okay. So I did that for about a mile, two miles, and then it started hurting again. So then what happened was my friend and my daughter got underneath my arms. And every time we went down a hill, they essentially carried me so that I could make it. It was definitely an obstacle to my journey. And the reason I share this is because it resembles our obstacles in our life as, life as well. My daughter and and my friend were like the map that Heavenly Father gives us. We have adversity and we have trials, but Heavenly Father doesn't just leave us stranded without an opportunity to, to overcome those trials and those adversities. My daughter and my friend were the only thing that made it for me, made it possible for me to get off that mountain. I wouldn't have made it without them. Maybe I could have scooted down the hill, I'm not sure. I, I'm glad I didn't try that. I'm glad I had a map. They were the map. Despite the adversity that I had, they helped me accomplish my goal. Elder Uchtdorf taught that adversity teaches us things we cannot learn otherwise. Adversity helps to develop a depth of character that comes in no other way. Our loving Heavenly Father has set us in a world filled with challenges and trials so that we, through opposition, can learn wisdom, become stronger, experience joy, and then he further stated, it is your reaction to adversity, not the adversity itself, that determines how your life story will develop. The map to the gospel, the map, our map, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Heavenly Father has given us. If we follow his plan, then we have instructions right in front of us. Elder Uchtdorf taught about this map and he said, we all search for happiness, and we all try to find our happily ever after. The truth is, God knows how to get there, and He has created a map for you. He knows the way. He is your beloved Heavenly Father, who seeks your good, your happiness. All you have to do is trust in your Heavenly Father enough to follow His plan. As we embrace the gospel and learn to live by its teachings, 
we place ourselves on the pathway to eternal life. That's our ultimate goal. We want to make it to eternal life. But eternal life doesn't come to us simply because we desire it. We have to actually choose it and work for it. With each choice, we choose our path. Okay, I'm going to share another experience that I had. In order to set up this experience, I think it's important to note that the lens in which we see our world becomes our reality. With spiritual matters, our perspective determines whether or not we are going to have a lens of faith or a lens of doubt. God's hand, seeing His hand in our life, comes down to our choice to believe. President Nelson has encouraged us that we should pray for the eyes to see God's hand in our life. I think the prophet realizes that sometimes life gets, even with the little things, whether they're small challenges or big challenges, sometimes life can get overwhelming. And he knows that if we can see God's hand in our life, then those moments of being overwhelmed can be diminished by seeing our Heavenly Father's hand in our life. There was a time not too long ago that I felt extremely overwhelmed. I had a lot of responsibilities to juggle. Every night I went to bed overwhelmed because of the list on my to-do, my items on my to-do list, and I woke up dreading those same items. I went about my daily task, but I felt completely exhausted. I continued to read my scriptures and say my prayers, but to be honest, they also came just another task, a part of my items to do. Between demand, a demanding calling, planning a wedding, selling my house, moving, and building a new house, I just felt like I could do no more. And then one day, I sat down in complete exhaustion, and I half cried and half prayed to my Heavenly Father that I needed help. As I stood up to get about my daily chores and the things I had to do, I had a knock on my door. And a dear friend showed up to help me pack because I was in the middle of packing my house. <laughs> Without any call from me, she showed up. And as she did, it did a total paradigm shift in my thought process. I realized God was with her. I knew that He had helped her know that I needed someone in that moment. And then as I noticed her and that paradigm shift, I started realizing all the other things that Heavenly Father had done for me. I went from being completely overwhelmed to seeing His hand in my life and seeing that although I was still in a trial and I was in a struggle, that He was helping me and He was carrying me. I share this story because my circumstances didn't change. I still had a thousand things to do and my vision of my circumstance, but my vision of my circumstance had changed. Seeing Heavenly Father in the everyday moments made all the difference. My focus shifted from my problems to Him. It was what we choose to see that will make all the difference. We can find evidences of God everywhere we look, but we can also find evidences the other way if we choose. Whatever story we tell our brains becomes our reality. That is why faith requires constant nourishment. That is why God's map includes directions through prophets, the Savior, the Holy Ghost, and scriptures. It is our choice if we utilize them. Let me illustrate this with a story from the Bible. On a boat in a stormy sea, Jesus was awakened by His apostles. Master, carest thou that we, that we perish? The Lord calmed the storm and then asked them, why are you so fearful? How is that you that ye have no faith? The disciples had sat at the Savior's feet. They had witnessed the Savior's power. The Savior was on the boat with them, and they knew the Savior's mission on earth was not yet complete. However, in that moment, it was difficult to see past the raging storm. Brother Gregory Clark at a BYU devotional said, their memories of His works and His words and their hopes in the future reality of His promises were not, at that moment, nearly so real to them as the storm. At that moment, the only thing they had a perfect knowledge of was the intensity of the storm, the fragility of their boat, the depth of the water, and the distance from the shore. At that moment, their mortal senses were filled with fear. They could see and hear and feel the threat of their circumstances. And so it is with us. We know the gospel of the restoration is true. What we don't know is how and when our trials will be resolved. 
The Lord has promised us that He will be with us, but at times, living to the day-to-day -day moments, it is easy to be uncertain. If we are not careful, we can lose sight of the gospel and the map. The promises to staying the course are powerful. Elder Scott taught that as we actively come unto Christ, we can endure every temptation, every heartache, and every challenge that we face. In the Doctrine and Covenants, it states, Search diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things will work together for your good. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the map. As we choose to keep our feet on the pathway, then our fears and doubts will diminish. When I was 17 years old, the map of the gospel became my lifeline. It held me together in my core, and it led me through the hardest trial of my life. When I was 17 years old, my older brother passed away in a fishing accident. I had watched similar tragedies on TV and always felt bad for the people that I saw, but never ever did I think that that was me, that that would be my story. In the beginning, I refused to let my mind believe that my brother had drowned. I could hear the people around me and their hushed conversations while I paced back and forth on the banks of the river. The more I heard them talk, the more determined I became to prove them wrong. While search and rescue prepared to dive, I was searching for my brother on the riverbanks. I remember yelling his name over and over again until my voice was hoarse. At one point, I stopped my pacing and I poured out my heart to my Heavenly Father. I prayed for a different solution than the inevitable one that was presenting itself. I even went as far as to bargain my own life for that of my brothers. I told Heavenly Father to take me, take me instead, if only he could stay. After my prayer, I resumed my marching. We didn't find my brother that first night that we were diving for his body, but search and rescue scheduled another search the next morning. With uncertainty still hanging over us, my parents and I went to bed that night not knowing what the, the next morning would bring. However, my parents that night had a dream. And not going into too much detail, detail about that dream, they woke up knowing that my brother had passed away. To start the next morning of our search, my father decided to offer a family prayer. It was the prayer that invited the blessing of the gospel for us. Not only did it help us call on God and the enabling power of the atonement, but it also placed our focus on God's will, His path for our family, His map. In my father's prayer, he asked for strength. He asked for guidance. He asked for peace. And he asked to find my brother's body. I remember the power in the room after the prayer. It was one of those moments where I knew heaven was near. As we left for the river, prayers were reaching heaven on our behalf. Our whole stake had been asked to fast and pray, and those prayers did not go unnoticed. It was like an unseen power was with us, carrying us as we faced this tragedy. As we stood on the side of the riverbank, a new feeling of peace enveloped us, a feeling I was surprised to have noticed. For my family, our prayers had shifted from finding Eric alive to finding his body. Our hearts were no longer fearing God's will, but rather accepting God's will. With this paradigm shift, we felt peace. Peace as we stood on the riverbank searching for my brother, and peace as we prepared to say goodbye. I remember vividly as a member of the search and rescue team called over on the walkie-talkie, please remove the family. Get them out of here. We have found something. My siblings and I were quickly escorted to the parking area where we waited confirmation that my brother had indeed been found. It had only been an hour since my dad had pleaded with my Heavenly Father that we would find my brother and find closure. Right at that moment, we knew our prayers had been answered. In the days following Eric's passing, prayers on our behalf and the prayer offered by my father seemed to be ever-present. The peace that began on Sunday continued through the week. We felt the Savior's arms around us. It was tangible. And when we had moments of struggle, we felt Him as we prayed. One of those moments of struggle for me was at the viewing. After greeting hundreds of people, I started realizing what we were going through. And my heart broke. And I began to cry.
Well, if you can imagine with me for a moment, I was in a line and I was at the beginning of the line and my parents were at the end of the line. And as I was beginning the welcoming to everybody that was coming through the viewing, I was crying. Well, my crying ignited crying to all of the people who came. And by the time they reached my mom, those that came to comfort her ended up being comforted from her. She let them know of the plan of salvation and told them that we knew that we were going to see him again. She bore her testimony of that reality as person after person came by with tears in their eyes. My father, knowing that I was the source of the problem, came to me and asked me if I could please go and find somewhere to pray, find somewhere to find some peace. I don't know where I went in that funeral home, but I do know that I did pray. And I found a scripture. I want to share that scripture with you. It says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My heart fills with peace that I was seeking. My pain didn't go away, but I felt Heavenly Father with me. At the funeral, many of my brother's friends were not members of the church. And as the funeral started, many of his friends began wailing and crying. I had never seen it before. I'd always gone to LDS funerals and hadn't seen the torment of someone passing to the next life with a different view from our view. But there I was at my brother's funeral, and I couldn't even hear the talks that were happening around me because of the wailing and the crying that was happening by my brother's friends. My dad stood up yet again in his wisdom and stopped the funeral. He turned to my brother's friends and he said, I need to tell you something. The contrast between those of us who have a testimony in the gospel in Jesus Christ and those who do not have a testimony was real. He bore his testimony of the gospel. He told them about how we we're going to live again and how we were going to see Eric again. He told them to fill within their hearts and try to see if they could feel a different spirit. They could fill and trust in that opportunity to go again and see our Heavenly Father. President Nelson taught, Saints can be happy under every circumstances. We can feel joy even while having a bad day, a bad week, even a bad year. My dear brothers and sisters, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. Joy comes from and because of Him. He is the source of all joy. My brother's death was another perspective shift for me. As I reached to heaven, heaven reached back. I could only find peace as I used the tools that Heavenly Father had given me. It taught me that God's map was the pathway to happiness. It taught me through Christ I can find peace. It taught me that Heavenly Father does consecrate our trials for our good. I may not always see it in the moment, but if I trust and believe, then my eyes are always opened. I like to repeat something that I had said earlier. Seeing God's hand is our choice. Following His map is our choice. The life, this life is a test and Satan is on attack. He would love to pull us from the map we do so desperately cling. Each of us will face trials and adversity will feel overwhelming and even crushing in those moments. A choice will be made. We can choose to follow God's plan or to let go. A poem by President Thomas S. Monson, actually not by Thomas S. Monson, but he shared it in conference, states, Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. He further stated, Were it not for challenges to overcome and problems to solve, we would remain as we are, with little or no progress towards our goal of eternal life. These trials that we most certainly will face are for our good. If we allow them, they will mold our characters and they will bring us to eternal life. Satan, in his conniving ways, desires to pull us from the path. He will use these trials to pull us away from where we stand. 
I grew up on a farm and we had many chores to accomplish. My eldest brother and I, not very often did we work together, but at this one particular time, we'd, were, we had our chores assigned that were similar. While we worked, our conversation turned serious. It was unusual for us to talk in such an in-depth matter, but as we talked, we talked about the pathway that we must all take. Something that you should know, my brother had fallen away from the path of the gospel. As he was talking to me, he said, I really want you to stay the path. And he kept talking about how it was too late for him and how he could no longer come back, but that I could. And he wanted to make sure that I stayed on the course. Although I was listening to him, I wanted to for sure let him know, hey, you've got the plan wrong. You don't understand the plan. Let me tell you the plan. I was younger than him, and so he kind of just kept pushing me away and kept saying, no, you don't get it. You need to stay the course. Don't do what I've done. And I kept saying, no, no, you don't get it. You, you still get to come back. The Savior came for a reason. That's part of the plan. No matter how hard I tried to convince him, he wouldn't listen to me. Ulysses' story said, If we are not rooted by a steadfast trust in God and the desires to serve Him, the painful experience of mortality can lead us to feel as though we are burdened by a heavy yoke, and we can lose the motivation to live the gospel fully. In these moments of trial, the adversary, who is always on the lookout, tries to use our logic and reasoning against us. He tries to convince us that it is useless to live the principles of the gospel. We must not allow Him to deceive us. Just a few years ago, my younger brother passed away. I remember when he passed that I thought, wait, I already went through this experience. How is it that I'm facing this again? Haven't I learned what I need to learn? I remember driving to prepare his funeral and my dad called me, again, my dad and all of his faith. And I said, dad, why are we here again? How is this possible? And my dad said to me, are we any different than the pioneers? How many of their family members did they bury? Well, let me back up in the story just a little bit. When I found out that my brother had passed away, it was a sudden shock to all of us. I was driving in the car and I was on the way to pick up my daughter from Mutual. My second daughter was in the car with me. My brother-in-law called me on the phone and he said, Carrie, I need to talk to your husband. Is he around? Well, I was driving, so I said, nope, he's not around. Can I tell him what you need? And he said, well, Carrie, are you sitting down? Well, I was driving, so yeah, yeah, I'm sitting down. At that point is when he let me know that Brandon had just passed away. My mind was in complete shock. And I was unwilling to accept the fact that he had passed away. I couldn't even speak it. And my daughter sitting next to me saw this torment going on. In that fragile state, it scared her. And she kept asking me, Mom, are you okay? Mom, what's going on? I didn't want to tell her about what was going on because I felt like as soon as I did, then it would become a reality. So I just kept saying, no, it's not true. We got to the church parking lot. I pulled over and I called my husband. At that point, I knew I needed to communicate what I had just been told. And that was the first that my daughter heard about it. On the phone with my husband, I let my husband know, Brandon just passed away. This experience for my daughter was earth shattering. She'd always seen me as someone with great faith, great optimism, and I did have faith. On the way home from the church that night, all I could do was pray. I prayed that Heavenly Father would lead us and guide us yet again. I prayed that we would see His hand and that we would understand. Not necessarily the why. We don't always understand whys, but I prayed because I knew before that God could attend to us. And I knew He would do it again. But what my daughter could only see 
was the fractured moment in when, when I heard of his passing. That moment racked her soul. And she went months, actually, you guys, years of struggling. Years of wondering and teetering back and forth between faith and God. And if she even had faith, she wondered about the plan. She struggled. She would wake up at night with tears and begging me to help her to understand this plan. She had convinced herself that because my older brother had died and now my younger brother, that my family was cursed and that I was next. She would call me all the time. Are you okay? Are you safe? Where are you? What are you doing? My husband and I couldn't go on dates without her calling. In the beginning, it was every five minutes she would call me. Hey, what are you doing? Are you okay? We had a lot of prayer and a lot of focus on trying to help her. One night we had a family home evening and I had been praying to know what I could do to help her. Help her in that battle between heaven and Satan. Satan kept telling her that her faith was not solid. He kept trying to pull her away from the path. And I kept trying to tell her, no, this is the path. This is the way. So one night as we were having a family home evening, I was praying and I thought of the story in the Bible where Peter asked the Lord, can I come walk to you on the water? As he's walking to the Savior on the water, he all of a sudden sees the winds and the storms and the rains all around him. And when he loses his focus on the Savior, he begins to sink. So we're telling the story in Family Home Evening, and I stop and I say, what was it that lost his focus? And she said, well, the winds and the rains and the storms. And I said, yeah, what about you? What do you need to do? And she said, I need to focus. I need to focus on the Savior. We had already talked about scriptures. We'd already prayed. But that moment in family home evening was the clincher for her. All of a sudden, it clicked. And she thought, I don't want to sink. I want to make it. That was her battle with Satan. That was her fight. And she began to make ground. She started seeing God's hand. And she started letting her fear be replaced by faith. Satan wants to take our trials and turn them against us, but we have a choice. We can take our trials and we can switch them so that they can help us grow. They can help us become better. Satan's goal is to deceive us. If he can convince us, he will make us stray from our Heavenly Father's path. I testify that I know that the pathway of Jesus Christ is the only pathway. It is the best pathway. It is the way to get us back to our heavenly home. Heavenly Father loves us with everything in Him. That is why He gave us a path. That is why He gave us a map. He wants you to come to Him when you struggle. It doesn't matter the struggle. It doesn't matter where you've been on this path. There's always a way back. I believe in a God of second chances. I believe in a God that reaches down to us and carries us in our biggest and darkest moments. I believe in a God who looks at me and loves me. He is there for you. He loves you. It is ultimately up to you to choose His path. Faith is a choice. And that choice that you make will determine where you end. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We leave a few minutes for questions and answers. For sure. This is not an easy answer, but That's if okay. you didn't believe in an afterlife, how would you deal with grief? You know, I think that that is what I was trying to portray when my brother's funeral, my first brother's passing. I just feel like his, the stark contrast between those of us that believed and those that didn't. I just think ultimately that is the, 
the ultimate gift that we do believe in an afterlife, that we do believe that we will see them again. And if I didn't, I don't know how I would deal with my grief, to be honest. I can't even imagine it, not knowing what I know. I, I can't imagine how, I think just even having that perspective of seeing that death was the end for them. It was heart-wrenching. And I, I, it's hard to even give you a good picture of that as we were sitting in the funeral. And they were off to my left. And I remember just feeling a sense of hurt for them. And, and I didn't know how to help them. I, I just can't even imagine not knowing what I know. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Sure. <laughs> there was another hand. Who else had a question? Can you tell us about your uh, Facebook? Your, your Instagram. Instagram. So I do have a Facebook, but it's my family. Yeah, for sure. I'd, be lo I'd love to tell you. So actually, I have for the last 12, I don't know how many years. I should probably count it. But a long time ago, I had an impression that I was supposed to write a book. And at that time, I remember questioning it and saying, well, why? Who am I to write a book? Why would I write a book? But through different inspiration, I just kept feeling like I was supposed to write this book. And there were several direct answers to prayers that eventually I couldn't deny. And so I wrote, took me a long time. I wrote this book and the, I, I've sent it into an editor. And the goal is to get it published at Desert Book. Now, if it doesn't get published there, then eventually I'll publish it somehow. But you might as well shoot for the stars, right? So I'm trying to get published with Desert Book. In order to publish with Desert Book, apparently it's a thing now where you have to have a big following on social media. So I didn't know that. But my editor, in the process of editing this book, told me, so you need to start an inspirational Instagram post. And to be honest, I already share things all the time. That's just kind of who I am. I just share my thoughts of, hey, I saw a great perspective this way, and I thought about this, and that's already what I was sharing. So now I have a, my one post that used to be my personal account has now become an inspirational account on just little tidbits of testimony of things that I've thought or been inspired to share. So I have that account. I also have my family account, which is different from that. And then you asked about the food account. So ever since I was little, you guys all know, I grew up on a farm. I said that. Well, my job was always to cook the meals for the family. And I made a lot of mistakes in that, you guys. But I grew to be able to cook, I promise. I, knew, I know how to cook now. I can make a mean meatloaf without a Band-Aid in it. There's a funny story about that, but I won't tell you. I can make really good food. And anyway, so I taught my kids how to cook and I wanted them to learn how to cook and love cooking because I just love food. And one of my daughters really gravitated to it and learned how to cook. And so now I actually teach at Pinner's Conference all things cooking. I teach the air fryer class, the dough class. I teach how to make a best cookie. And my daughter and I came up with, well, we have created two different cookbooks. And it's called our Instagram, our Instagram food is cooking with Amber. And our goal, when I was younger, like I said, I learned how to cook. When I was younger, I earned my way through college by cooking for a car dealership. And so, our thought process was what was, well, let's create a cookbook because we were already creating recipes. We love cookies. So if you love cookies, we have a whole cookie cookbook. So good. Anyway, we decided we were gonna create these cookbooks and sell them and help her go through college. So everything that we sell, all the cookbooks, help her with college. And so we have Cooking with Amber. Well, my daughter, she's the one that's at college. And well, I have both of them at college, but she, She's not very good at Instagram. She doesn't really do it. And so I mostly run it and I tease her all the time. And it's not ran very well, by the way. But I tease her all the time. Hey, you're the teenager. I'm the old person. You should be doing this. And she says, 
Mom, most, most moms really like it when their teenagers don't like social media. So you should be grateful. So that's her excuse. But that, so those are the two. I don't really, I mean, I post them on Facebook every once in a while, but I have a spiritual and a cooking account. Thanks, that was a fun question. Any other questions? Jake, this is my son. You mentioned the part of the story with Brandon that uh, oh. told you that it'll all be all right, that we would see him. You know what, I should have. This is my son, you guys. And he had really great faith. And he said that, he said, mom will see him again, he's not gone. When I found out that Brandon had passed away. It was pretty strong. Thanks, Jake. Any other questions? When you were describing your daughter and like her reaction, was she ever like diagnosed with like something with like irrational fear? Like if she was calling you so so much with right. acute distress of some sort or Well definitely anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. She had some anxiety and we did go to counseling for her yeah. to help her overcome that. And they gave her some great tools to help her. And honestly, the counseling was huge and the gospel was huge. Both of those parts played a, a big role in her overcoming it. But yes, she had anxiety from, from his passing. Brandon, I don't know that I shared this. My little brother passed away from the flu. It was totally unexpected. And it, I actually hadn't written in my talk my brother Brandon's passing, but I felt like I should share it with you, and so I did. But he had been totally healthy. I had talked to him the day before. He had texted me and asked how he could help me with something. We just It just felt like a normal, and then the next day he was gone. And so I think that shook her quite a bit to the core. He came to Boise a lot for his job. He traveled back and forth some weeks for his job. And so my kids felt like he was their uncle. He was their person. And so I think just having someone so close to them and then be there and then gone, it just was earth shattering for them to understand what that looked like. Um, for her, she just didn't know how to get past that. And it took a long time. But I think now, if you were to ask her, in fact, I know, she actually just gave a talk in state conference and she shared her experience with it. But she talks about how grateful she is for that struggle. Because that struggle focused her in on her Savior and it solidified her testimony. I would say now that she's stronger than ever. And I think that's what's great about our trials. We don't, none of us want trials, right? None of us, if we could, we would say, well, at least we think we would say, let me have the easy card. But then in the end, we really wouldn't because the trials are the only way for us to become better. And that's kind of what happened to her is that she, she grew in her testimony and she's so strong. And she was just actually called to serve her mission in the Philippines mission. And she's thrilled to be going. Thanks for that question. Any other questions? Maybe if just for a couple of minutes, if you could address how the temple is a part of this. Oh, of course. Story. Of course. Well, I know I didn't share about the temple, but the temple is one of those tools on the map that keep us on that pathway. And we honestly, when Amber was battling her anxiety, we made the temple a priority. We went every single week. We didn't miss a week. And we, we did that for a long time and we still try to make that happen in our lives. And there's something about the temple when you go there that you feel something that keeps you grounded to your Heavenly Father. Uh, right after my brother Brandon passed away, actually, Brandon's passing, not that I didn't feel as connected to my brother Eric, I did and I loved him, but Brandon was my sidekick. He was my buddy. 
We did things together all the time. I was kind of his, I took care of him. He had diabetes. I was the one designated to give him all of his shots. And I essentially took care of him throughout his life. And so right after his passing, I went to the temple. And, you know, if you don't ask for big things, you'll never get them, right? So I'm sitting there in the temple and I'm telling Heavenly Father, okay, I'm trying to have the faith that you will let me see him. I just want to see him one more time, okay? Just, I have the faith, right? Do I have the faith? If I don't have the faith, fix my faith because I really want the faith that I'll be able to see him one more time. And I know we kind of laugh at that, or I kind of laugh at that, that I felt that way, but I did. I wanted to feel him or see him. I really wanted to see him. But in that moment, I was sitting there actually at the baptistry because I had taken my daughter to the temple. And I felt this overwhelming peace and this love and this protection. And I just knew that whether it was Brandon sitting next to me or not, it was okay. That it was gonna be okay. Even though in that moment, in those moments, I didn't feel okay, it was going to be okay. And I think that's what the temple did for, for me, is that feeling of, it's going to be okay. Every time I needed a moment of it's going to be okay, the temple was definitely a place we went. Thanks for that question. Any other questions? Did I did I share all aspects that you wanted to know? Um, how do you determine your self-worth? Great question. You know, I think knowing who we are is a big important thing in our lives. That's huge. And knowing that we have value is huge. I think that's part of my life goal is to teach people that they have value and that God is not a God of just a one time and done, that He really is a God of second chances and that He loves us. I think I felt that way so much so because my brother struggled on the path. And I think sometimes in life, we as a people can judge other people, but we are also our worst critics. Would you agree with that? Don't you think we're kind of hard on ourselves? I think we are. How do we determine our value? I think a big part of it is staying close to the Spirit, reading our scriptures, saying our prayers, and hearing Him tell us separately from what the world is telling us. The world is going to tell us that we have to look a certain way, we have to be a certain way, we have to talk a certain way, and we have to be able to separate ourselves from that worldly talk to the spirit talk. When my daughter, my oldest daughter, was going, remember how I told you that I hate goodbyes? I really do. When she went to kindergarten, you guys are gonna think I'm crazy. Please do not think I'm crazy, but I feel like you should know this, okay? When she went to kindergarten, it was really hard for me to send her to school. I was that mom that followed the kindergarten bus to school just to make sure that she got off the bus fine, she knew what she was doing. But then when she went to first grade, it was even harder for me. All of a sudden, it went from half the day to a full day, and I was not having it. After I dropped her off the first time, I came home and I was crying, and my second oldest was like, Mom, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And I couldn't explain to her. I, I kept trying to like, put it into words, it's now somebody else is telling her how important she is and somebody else gives her more of her instruction and all those things. Well, I'm telling you this, there is a point to this story. I'm telling you this because I really struggled with this and I prayed really hard about it. And I feel like Heavenly Father gave me an answer. So we started a tradition when she was in first grade. So how many years ago was that? forever. A long, long time ago. No, because she's 21 now. Your math is off. She would have been zero. <laughs> Your math is off. But when she was in first grade, so 15 years ago, right? I said to her, and this did not come from me completely. As she left to school, I, I every morning would ask her, who are you? 
And she would say, I am a child of God. And I would say, what does that mean? And she'd say, I'm a princess. And I know that sounds a little trite, but I kept feeling like if she knew where she came from, then it didn't matter what else went around, around us. If she could identify that she was a child of God, then whatever people said to her, it would lose its strength because she had the strength of knowing who she was. And I did that every single day. And even now, Jake, what do I ask you? Who are you? What does that mean? He says it every day as he walks out the door. And you know, maybe sometimes it becomes something that they just say. But I think that once we can internalize that, it changes. It's a game changer. Uh, even now, my daughters are in college, so I don't get to just say to them, who are you? But guess what I do? I text them, who are you? What does that mean? Because I think if we can remember who we are, then it makes all the difference.